beginning a new series today called Forgive. And from the early services time of sermon, um, I had to make sure they were still with me because they were so quiet and, and I didn't realize how, well, I didn't know how serious it was and how personal it is with our subject today. But just hang with me. It may not be the, the easiest message but it could be the most powerful in your life to date. Um, if there was ever a series that we all need, young, old, rich, poor, no matter what season of life that you're in, this is it. This is it. We all need to understand, and not just understand, but experience the power of forgiveness and the healing that can come through a life lived in forgiveness. In part one, we're going to talk about how to forgive ourselves. Part two, forgiving others. And then in part three, the healing that is available if we live a life of forgiveness. And I think today, talking about forgiving ourselves could possibly, I I don't know about you, but I think that may be the hardest one. Maybe the hardest one. Let's pray. Father, I'm blown away with what you're doing here. I'm just thankful to be a small part of the, of the journey of New Life Church and what you're doing in your local expression here. But God, I pray right now that your word comes alive and active, and that it's prophetic and powerful, and that it's anointed. God, please open our hearts, even though this is a difficult word, open our hearts to whatever you would have us to do and hear and experience today. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. The year was 1983. And to you, it was just a normal Saturday rec league basketball game. But to me, as a 10-year-old boy, it was my day. It was my day. How many have had your day? Come on. If you haven't, I'm sorry. You, 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 one day you're going to have your day. This was my day. So I was the point guard, and these teams, our teams had just battled all morning long, as much as a 10-year-old team could. Anyway, I mean, it was back and forth, back and forth. These teams were well-matched. It was back and forth. It came down to the last nine seconds of the game, and I'm the point guard. I'm bringing up the ball, and we are one point behind, one point. And I'm bringing the ball up. I passed a half-court and because the, the time was elapsing, I made a break, just a break for the basket. And as I did, I was fouled. We were in bonus. That means I got a one-in-one shot. And what that means is if I make the first shot, then I get a second shot. If I miss, time would most likely expire, and that would be the ball game. So here I go. Up to the line. Ten years old. You feel the tension? I'll go through my little routine. It's important. Spun the... Yeah, thank you. Thank you, doctor. It's a rocky music. Okay. So I spun the the ball back to myself. I took my two bounces. I shot nothing but net. Swish. Swish. It was not an air ball. It was in... I know what you were thinking. No, it was a swish. It was in. We were tied. So I get another shot. 
So I go back to the line. The, of course, the crowd went crazy. You know, it's all parents, though. But, hey, parents cheer louder than anybody else. They get absolutely nuts, as a matter of fact. I know because I'm now that person. But. So I go back to the line. The ref gives me the ball. I do my little routine, spin the ball back. Two bounces, take the shot, goes up, bounces on the left side straight up, hits on the other side straight up, and right through. Right through. We are up by one point. They throw the ball in. They're 10 years old. There's no way they can throw the ball. The game expires, and we win. Come on. My day. My day. (laughs) I was the basketball hero. (laughs) And... You know, this little, this, you know, this little team or whatever, the coach would always, win or lose, he would make us put our hands in, one, two, three, and shout our team name, which was like Ken's Barbecue or something, because it was a, you know, sponsor, and, you know, Ken's Barbecue, but this time, he said, no, we're not going to say that, we're going to say, Allen, one, two, three, Allen, and everybody went nuts, and these boys tried to put me up on their, that was comedic, they tried to put, 10-year-old boys tried to put me up on their shoulder, they didn't last long, but it was the greatest two seconds of my young life, come on, help me while I'm trying to relive this, thank you, I didn't have too many of those days in sports, but that was a a huge day, listen to Proverbs 14.10, it says, each heart knows its own bitterness, and no one else can fully share its joy. No one else could experience the high, whatever, that I had in that moment that day. We live at extremes within ourselves, don't we? That no one else will ever know. That no one else will ever experience, whether it's, it's good or bad, mountain or valley, failure or victory. Now, we may have some that try to go with us, our spouse or a close friend or a parent. And as, speaking as a parent, we can get pretty close. When Rachel had her header the other week into the goal from a corner kick, bam, bam. I was almost at the same place that she was in that moment as she got that goal. But it's still not the same because it was me that made the basket. Not my parents. But just like no one can experience the highs and the mountains like we can, no one can experience the failure and the pain that we do either. So often this is how how we think. Perhaps God has forgiven me. Perhaps God has forgiven me. And maybe even the person that I've hurt or offended has forgiven me. But I can't forgive myself. There's no way. There's no way with what I've done and caused that I could forgive. It's not even fair. It's not even fair to think about me forgiving myself, letting myself off the hook for what I've done. And you may think that attitude, having that thought and that that attitude and that stance is is okay, it's fine because it doesn't affect anybody else, right? Wrong. That's right. Why? Look at the screen. The inability to forgive yourself will keep you from your purpose in Christ. The inability to forgive yourself will hold you down, will hold you back, will cause you to become stuck in your walk with Christ. And guess what? That is a big deal because it will affect every person around you, everyone in your circle of influence. 
What what is the most celebrated hymn of all time? H-Y-M-N, hymn, the song. Amazing Grace. Amazing. Can you imagine if you grew up in church, and some of you, a lot of you may not have, but if you grew up in church, can you imagine going through that entire experience without ever hearing or singing Amazing Grace? Does anybody know the author's name? John Newton. That's right. Look at the screen. He, he, he was born in 1725 and died in 1807. John grew, out, grew up without any religious background, any religious conviction whatsoever. He was known for his rebellious attitude and his insubordination. As he grew up, he pretty much had to raise himself and uh, he, he, his biography and autobiography and things like that talk about how he was a young boy, 11 years old, on these ships that would go out, and he was abused and all kinds, just horrible things as a boy. And then he grew up, and that just took all of that in and became a very, very rebellious young man. He, he joined the, or had to go into the Navy. He tried to, to escape and get away. They caught him, and they beat him within an inch of his life by the same whip same type of whip, the cat of nine tails with the bone and the metal tips that they beat Jesus with. He almost died. Listen to this. Oh, he would write obscene poems, obscene songs, and they would sing them in the bars. Listen to this quote about him. Newton gained notoriety for being one of the most profane men the captain of the Navy had ever heard or seen. Now that, you've heard of like, he cusses like a... Okay, he makes these other sailors look like Girl Scouts. Okay, we're talking about a whole nother level. And he later became a slave ship captain. And not, not us thinking about he, he from his own pen, he writes about multiple rapes that he participated in and murders and killings aboard his ships. How is it possible for someone like that to ever be forgiven? How would it be possible for someone like that to ever be able to forgive themselves? Romans 5.15, Paul says, but there is a great difference. Somebody say difference. There is a difference between Adam's sin, or we could insert my sin, and God's gracious gift. They're just not equal. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. We inherited Adam's sinful nature. But even greater, somebody shout greater. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness. There's our word to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. Verse 16, and the result of that gift is very different from the result of man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation. Come on, everybody, look at me. His sin, we inherited this sinful nature, and we know we all have sinned, and we all mess up, and so we've inherited this thing that has separated us from God. But God's free gift leads to our being made right. That word means justified. And the way to break that down is just as if I'd never sinned. Even though, look, we are guilty. Even though we are guilty of many sins. The question, folks, is not whether we're guilty or not. We are. We are. We have all fallen short of God's glorious standard. What's his standard? Perfection. 
holiness. He is completely holy. The real question is not if we're guilty. The real question is, is there a possible way back to him? Is there a possible path and a way back to being made right with him? And Paul assures us, even though we are still sinners, we are still guilty. That not only is that gracious gift big enough, it is greater than all of our sin, all collectively, all of our sin combined from the beginning of the world until the end. That's how big my Savior is. That's how big His his blood and how powerful His blood is. Somebody give Him praise for the resurrection power of Jesus and the sacrifice that He made through His blood. Even big enough to forgive someone like John Newton. But even after he came to Christ and had that experience, even after he decided to follow Jesus for himself and he received forgiveness from God for his sins, he still struggled with unforgiveness for himself. He still struggled. I would highly recommend you reading his biography, autobiography, and those things. Unbelievable story. Crazy story. Incredible story. He he struggled with this until he found the story of David and Bathsheba. And the result of David's repentance. So let's look at that story, or that that prayer in 1 Chronicles 17. This is David after he came to his senses, after he came and repented of what he had done. He says, then King David went in and sat before the Lord and he said, who am I? Anybody ever feel that way? Who am I? Who am I, Lord? And what is my family that you have brought me this far? And as as this were not enough in your sight, my God, you have spoken about the future? Everybody look at me. He's like, how in the world could I possibly have any kind of good future after what I've done? How could I possibly be blessed after what I have done? David had committed adultery. And then he conspired to commit murder, to kill the man, the husband, to cover up that sin. I think that probably, hopefully, puts him several notches above most of us today if we're keeping score. But here he is before God with the same feelings of shame and guilt and condemnation that we would have. And he's like, how could this be? How could God talk about my future in a positive way after what I've done? Everybody look at me. You may feel that way today. You may feel like, how could I ever have a future and a hope after my past? The next point in this message is not my opinion. Sometimes us preachers are famous about throwing out opinions. I try not to do that too often. But this is not my opinion. This is declaration from Genesis to Revelation. Look at the screen. When it comes to forgiveness, God doesn't look at the severity of the transgression, only at the condition of the heart. In other words, God is looking for repentance. God is looking for repentance. That That means more than being sorry you got caught. 
I started to tell another story on my kids. I won't do it, but you know where I was going. A lot of times our kids are, we, we do the same thing. We're sorry we got caught. That's not repentance. The tears that come from being caught and being in a condition like that, that's not repentance. Being sorrowful and grieving for grieving the heart of God and grieving the people that you have that and turning, turning away from the sin and the transgression. That is repentance. And that is what God is looking for. Now, are there consequences? Your sin might have caused a a divorce. It it, it might have caused separations. It might have caused issues in your family. Maybe even a bankruptcy or jail time. There there, there are always consequences on earth for our... But listen closely. This is the point. The severity of the sin and the resulting consequences, listen, have nothing to do with God's willingness to offer you forgiveness. Come on. The severity of the sin or the consequence has nothing to do with whether or not God's going to forgive you if you repent. He forgave David. David lost a child over this. There were earthly consequences. Come on. But then God established him as the greatest king of Israel and promised that the Messiah would come from his lineage. (laughs) Folks, this is a huge takeaway. Look at the screen. Our future can be redeemed even after failure. Somebody ought to rejoice and clap your hands and thank God for that truth. Your future can be redeemed even after you fail. But for that to happen, now this is what I want you to hear, for that to happen, for you to move forward into that place, You have to come to the place where you can forgive yourself and where you will forgive yourself. When John Newton saw what God did in David's life, in his heart, he finally opened up to the same grace. He allowed himself to receive the same grace that he extended to other people. And he forgave himself. He would eventually become a pastor Can you imagine? I would have loved to have just heard him preach and heard him give his testimony. Holy cow. He became a pastor, and then he would write the greatest hymn of all time, a song that is sung 10 million times every year in all different languages. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but Don't you think, don't you think that if God could forgive these men, that he can forgive you? Don't you think that if both of these men could come to a place where they would forgive themselves, that you can as well?
Hebrews 10.29 says, How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? One way to look at this, and it would be correct, would be to think about it this way. Hey, come on, I got saved when I was 10. I shook a preacher's hand. I signed a card. You know, I got baptized. I I can live any way that I want. I can do whatever I'm good. I can live however. That's trampling on the Son of God and the blood of Christ. Amen? That is that. But on the other side of the coin is this. When we're unwilling to forgive ourselves, what we are saying is that the blood of Jesus is not good enough. Why do we have such a problem with this one? This is where it got really quiet in the first service too. (laughs) Why do we? It's because it's personal. We're not preaching about so-and-so. Oh, bless so-and-so. Yes, pastor. Yes. Lord, touch him. He needs it. No, this is is, is not about so-and-so. It's about you. It's about your life. I also think it's because these things that we carry with us, these failures, these sins, they've been attached to us for so long that we identify ourselves with them. We think that the weight of our past mistakes is something that we have to carry for the rest of our lives. It's like almost like restitution. Come on, it's, it's only right, Pastor, that I carry this thing that I did. I have to carry it. It's only right. I don't deserve to lay it down. I don't deserve it. No, you don't. And neither do I. But aren't you thankful it's not about what we deserve and what we don't? We begin to think it's who we are, that these things that we carry, I think maybe sometimes we're even afraid of being free from them. It's like we don't even know who we'd be without them. But all along in this argument, this spiritual thing going on inside of us, Jesus is whispering, my God, I feel you. Listen, lean in, lean in and hear this. Jesus is whispering, your identity is not in your past. Your identity is not in your failures. Your identity is in me. Your identity is in the sacrifice that I made on the cross. Look at the screen. Forgiving yourself begins, begins with believing what God says about you, not what you say about you. Or not what anybody else says about you. You can add that in parentheses if you want to. Self-esteem is the buzzword. The motivational speakers, self-help gurus, you got to have self-esteem. You got to believe in yourself. You've got the power in yourself. You are the king of yourself and your own blah, 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 blah. 
It's not about self-esteem. Self-esteem is not the goal. It's not what you think about yourself. It's what God says about you that matters. It's what God says. And He says in Romans 8.1, Therefore there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore if anyone, somebody shout anyone. If anyone is in Christ, are you seeing the pattern? He is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Philippians 3.13 Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. You have a purpose on this planet, and it's not to wallow in your sin. It's not to wallow in your past. It's to do something great for the kingdom of God. And I'm telling you, it will affect everyone around you. If we will... Begin to believe what God says about us. He will give us a strength and a courage to forgive us and forgive ourselves and begin to move on with life and move on with purpose. Some of you still aren't convinced. Pastor, that's great. That makes for some really good preaching. But you don't know my past. You can talk about David all day long, but like you said, nobody can experience the the pain and the, and the, the sorrows like I can. I'm the one who committed adultery. I'm the one who caused the divorce. I'm the one who caused the pain in my kids. Pastor, I, I had an abortion. Pastor, I messed up everything. Pastor, I did this. Pastor, I did that. Pastor, I'm the failure. Pastor, I brought hell into my family. And there's just no way that I can let that go. I don't deserve to lay it down. Do you know that there's somebody else that just about every one of you will know that struggle with this very thing? But this person just so happened to write half of the New Testament. This person just so happened to be the greatest apostle to have ever lived. This person just so happened to have planted churches all around the Mediterranean rim. But he struggled even after he was saved with unforgiveness. Because he had put whole Christian families in prison, had them tortured, some of them killed. He struggled with self-condemnation. He struggled with unforgiveness. He even struggled, I think there's some, there were some personal sins that he, just like you and me, that we have to battle. Can I just say, <laughs> as a human being, I'm so thankful that Romans 7.15 is in the Bible. Look at the screen. Paul says, I don't really understand myself. For I want to do what's right. Anybody in the house want to do what's right? Come on, only four of you. All right, everybody at the altar. I want to do what is right. What? Who was this? Is this before he was? No, this was after. He was writing to the church in Rome. But I don't do it. Instead, I do what I... Now, don't raise your hand. (laughs) But could this be your testimony? And then he says in Romans 7... 24, he said, wretched man that I am. I wonder if that's where John Newton got the word. 
to save a wretch like me. Wretched man that I am, who will rescue me? Who will deliver me from this body of death? He likened, listen to me now, listen, we're almost done. He likened his condition to a rotting corpse, to dragging around a dead body. And he also understood that living in close proximity to a dead body will eventually kill you because of decomposition and disease. So what we're saying is here, if we're unwilling to forgive ourselves, it is like dragging around a spiritual corpse that will eventually kill your faith. (laughs) Pastor, that's a little heavy. It is. It is. My God, it is. Dragging around a dead body can be heavy. I came by today to tell you you don't have to do that. I came by to tell you there's freedom from that. You might have drug it right in here this morning and you don't have to take it out with you. And what I'm so thankful is Paul didn't leave us there in this chapter 7. He didn't leave us without hope and in defeat. He gives us the only possible answer to this question, this dilemma. Who will rescue me from this dead body? Who will rescue me from this body of death? Verse 25 says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. We have a terrible, terrible sin problem. We have an issue. We have all these problems. There is only freedom through one person and his name is Jesus. He's the only one who can rescue us from ourselves. He's the only one who can give us the courage to forgive ourselves. He's the only one that we can walk in forgiveness and move on with our life. He's the only one who can do it. He's the only one who can do it. Remember our proverb at the beginning, no one can experience what we can experience. No one else can experience the victories. No one else can feel the pain like we do because it's our life. Can I give you some really good news? (laughs) That (laughs) proverb was written before Jesus came on the scene. Let me give you a second to start putting that together. Guess what? There is one who can go and experience and does your highest achievement, your highest mountains, and your lowest, lowest valleys. And his name is Jesus. You don't have to experience and go through those things alone. He's given us a new identity. If you know Jesus, he's given you a new identity. Ladies, it's like a new wardrobe. Can you imagine an entire new... Now, you've got your whole new wardrobe in your closet, and you've got the old stuff right beside it. You go in there, and you start putting on the old stuff. Why would you do that? And yet, that's what we do when we put on condemnation and we put on judgment and we put on all this junk when Jesus has given us a new wardrobe every single morning we make a choice what we're going to wear are we going to wear unforgiveness and and, and condemnation and judgment or are we going to put on grace and mercy and salvation what are you going to wear what are you going to wear 
Because see, he won't make you put on anything, but he's purchased it's right there. Big idea. If God is willing to forgive us, then we should be willing to forgive ourselves. If God is willing to forgive us, and he knows. Listen, 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 listen. I, I, I skipped this, but you need to hear this. Jesus knows us better than anyone else. And yet he loves us more than anyone else. Let me make it personal. Jesus knows you. He knows what went through your head on the way here when that guy cut you off. He knows you, what you do, what you don't do, what you say, what you think better than anyone else. And yet he loves you more than anyone else. (laughs) Bow your heads, please.